this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is, pre- is, preparing us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? You are present here, God. You are in this room. You are alive. You are the one that inhabits the praise of your people. You are the one that meets us through the songs and in the word and at the table. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see you. We know that you have a particular word for each of us. We pray we would hear it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, every year in America, we celebrate a holiday encouraging us to become new people and to reform our lives. Anybody know what I'm talking about? New Year's Day, right? Anybody still fulfilling their resolution? One, maybe one person. Right, that's status quo. That's status quo. Uh, We want to become new people. We don't know really how to do it. I recently came across a, a blog article New York Times blog article, and it caught my attention because of this subject. The title was Resolving to Create the New You. And in it, I thought the author made an interesting point. He was saying, when we have choices between two goods or two equals, many times what's most important isn't the choice that we make, but rather we just make a choice. We make a commitment. And I found myself at times talking to folks saying, listen, you're choosing between two goods. It's probably more important that you just trust God and move ahead than what the choice will be. But then he goes on to express what I would say is a typical 
thought and opinion of our culture and day. When we choose between options that are on a par, that's between equal and good, we make ourselves the authors of our own lives. By doing so, we not only create value for ourselves, but we also recreate ourselves. And there's a few things about that I think that are difficult. One is it promotes this idea of renewal purely on an individualistic basis. It promotes independence, as if I could be renewed without other people. I don't think that's true. Second of all, well, judging by the stats in this room about how many of us uh, kept our commitments, it's a bit exaggerated, right? I mean, you might have heard that and said, you know, forget author of my life and recreation. I just would have been happy to stick to my resolution for three weeks. But both of those, I think, converge in a greater thing that, that his statement predisposes us towards, leads us towards, and that is the idea that renewal can take place without the creator, author, and renewer of our lives. We did not make ourselves. We do not choose when our lives are over. There is someone that has gone before us, and we inhabit his world. And it's to him we need to look for renewal. And within that, there's tremendous hope. On your bulletin, uh, I believe on the front cover, you see uh, part of a phrase. Am I right there? Does it say renew day by day, right? Well, you might have recognized that's out of the passage that you heard read. It's one of the core values of our church renewal, and the elders and leaders of the church, as we talked, we felt like it was an appropriate theme to kick off this ministry year because it seems to speak well to the moment that we're in. I would say on three fronts. One, the community, our congregational moment that we're in. Now, we just celebrated 10 years of community and God's work in our midst. It was a wonderful celebration. Talking and thinking about all the things that God has done, right? The ways he's enabled us to serve the city, love the youth of the city, hope to empower homeless men and women. Celebrating the people that have come to know Jesus for the first time or people that have grown in grace or the churches that we have planted or just celebrating the friendships, the best friendships that have occurred here, the marriages that have occurred here, the babies that have occurred. But, you know, that stuff doesn't come without a cost, right? When you commit to love and serve, I, I mean, there's a drain. You give out. You give away. And then you could add transition to that. Those of us that have been here for a while, you know that good friends, like we just prayed, good friends will be called away, transition away. I can look out over 10 years and still in my mind think of, I remember when that family sat there or that person sat there or that, you, you all tend to sit in similar places. Not, not, not always, but you know, but, but I can remember, I can see those people and you can too. And you miss them. But at the same time, I look out and see many of you that God has enabled to stay here. And I see lots of new faces. And if you're new, if you're here within the first month or six months or a year, 
I want to welcome you, and I want to say something else to you. We need you. We need your energy. We need your ideas. We need your perspective. We need your help. We're glad that you're here. And so as we think about our church's moment, this series will focus on some of that. You'll hear a sermon that's on doing community together and what it means to build spiritual friendship together. We'll talk about where do you actually get the power to endure. You know, many times, uh, you know, I'll say that living in the city, it's sort of like, you know, dog years and people years, right? You know, they say the dog, every one of ours is seven years for a dog. Well, when you live in a city, you feel like, you know, there are longer years than normal years. There's a lot of joy and energy, but if you stay, I mean, there's a lot of stress, the pace of it, right? And so we as a congregation pray for renewal. But there's also a cultural moment that we're in. It doesn't take a demographer or a genius to understand that the gap between the Christian faith and the culture has only widened. You might be here looking into the Christian faith, and your thought was, well, I'll be honest with you, my view of the Christian faith is it's irrelevant, it's out of date, it's out of touch, and it's sort of intolerant. But anybody that's actually delved into it and come to know this God, there would be a different sort of testimony. And so the beauty and the power and the eternal truth of the gospel, there has been a time where it's more needed in this city, in this time. It's a time in our culture where we need to speak that gospel and know it. And so in this series, you'll hear a couple sermons on things like the Bible. Is it reliable? Is it necessary? Is it trustworthy? You'll hear a few sermons on some of the hot buttons of our day, like sexuality or public faith, as Tim Keller likes to call it. What does it mean to actually take one's faith out of the closet and bring it into the public sphere. But lastly, the reason we thought renewal was a timely thing is the moment that our city is in. I mean, you may have heard Washington has been, you know, voted this year, Lonely Planet top destination, Forbes last year, the coolest city, the most educated city, best restaurant in the nation, wrote Bon Appetit. I don't think, I've never been into it. There's a bit of a line, but I'm glad it's here right? Lots of things, but at the same time, we have the greatest income inequality, the lowest rate of high school graduates, elementary school where the third of the children are homeless, a murder rate that's been soaring this year. Now, when you come to a city, you can approach it lots of different ways. You can approach it like a playground, you know, where you enjoy all the amenities and the changes. It's possible to live in Washington sort of that way. You have to close your eyes a bit, but you can, you know, you, you can do the playground approach. Another is to approach the city as a launch pad for your career. But this church was never started with that conviction. The purposes of, of our church is to be in and for the city, enter into the glory and the brokenness, the shame of Washington, D.C., and to love a city, even when it's inconvenient, when it's not easy, when it's dangerous, when it's costly, the call of this community has always been, will you pick up a cross called D.C.?
Will you pick up a cross called Washington, D.C.? And so our city needs that moment in communities devoted to that. And so during this series, you'll hear some sermons on costly obedience and what it means to joyfully serve. But before we can do any and all of that, we actually need to have renewed hope. We need to have our hope renewed. Because if you're new, that probably sounds daunting. And if you've been here a while, you're like, that's exhausting. You know, I'm tired. I know you are. Not all of you. Some of you. And so we need renewed hope. And New Year's resolutions or being the authors of our own lives, that ain't going to do it. So what does God give us instead? That's what I want to look at. So we'll look at it two ways. First of all, the condition for renewal, and then the momentum for renewal. Now, one of the terms that folks use is the term life-giving. Maybe you've used it where you'll say, well, you know, this friendship is life-giving to me, or this job was life-giving, and this job wasn't life-giving. Or maybe it's uh, running is life-giving to me, cooking is life-giving to me. And these are things that impart obvious joy and strength to us. That's what we mean. It's not often that we would say, uh, you know, disappointment, loss, despair, confusion, those things are life-giving to me, which makes Paul's words really curious, a paradox of sorts, because he talks about his condition. We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says that he and the other apostles were carrying such burdens they didn't want to live anymore. It was that heavy. He mentions always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That means dying each day with sufferings that were similar to the ones that Jesus had and took his life. He says that we're like jars of clay. That was an ancient metaphor to just refer to human weakness. And along with that would have been social rejection. Corinth was a city much like Washington, D.C. It valued people that were sophisticated, people that were smooth, people that were educated. And here shows up this beat-up old apostle who's not very eloquent in his terms, who makes tense as he preaches Paul was a cultural disappointment. If you feel like a cultural disappointment to Washington, D.C., you're in good company. This is what Paul was to the Corinthians. And he sums it all up by saying, our outer self is wasting away, and yet, and yet, the very same time, the inner self is being renewed day by day. So he's saying, as the apostles are carrying around the death of Jesus, at the same time, life was happening in them. Now, I want to stop there for a second, because I think that is radically different from the way that you and I understand renewal. I don't think that's the way we think about renewal. I mean, think about it. When my relationships are going well, when I'm having good emotional and physical health, when the boss is happy, when I'm experiencing life-giving things, that's when we tend to think, I'm in renewal. I mean, just think about your New Year's resolutions again. 
right? It's, it's I'd like to have better health or a better job. Not many of us said, well, you know, my resolution is to uh, suffer under chronic illness or to have a really bad breakup, right? We don't plan that as part of our renewal, but it seems like that's the very thing that Paul is saying. In our minds, I'm thinking if my outward life is going well, then I'm experiencing renewal. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God doesn't use those things, good things in our lives to renew us. But there's a whole other side of things, I think, that we're blind to. Let me ask it by this way, this question. Where is life killing you right now? Where is life killing you right now? This loneliness is killing me. This illness is killing me. My marriage is killing me. The pressures of my job are killing me. Where do you feel life is killing you right now? Because this would lead us to believe it may be the very place that God is renewing you. The very place that you feel like you're wearing and being worn out is the very place that he is giving life, intends to give life. But it doesn't happen apart from faith. I I wouldn't want you to think this is true of everybody. Paul says it's true of people that have actually laid their faith on God and Jesus Christ. He says that. It's not apart from faith because you can waste your suffering. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, and then he quotes King David. Now, how does that act of faith show up? That's a question I think that we have to think about. What does it look like, that act of faith? Now, it's our instinct when we feel like something is going to kill us to run, right? When something is bad, we avoid it. When we feel like this is going to do me in, we get out. That's just our instinct, natural instinct. But I'm asking you to think supernaturally for a moment with me. Because it could be, and and this could express itself in different ways. Again, it may be your living situation. It may be your job situation. It may be how you feel about the church. Any of these situations where you're thinking, things are not going well, I'm not feeling connected, this isn't life-giving for me, so I need to get out. It could be that you are running away from renewal, according to Paul. The very place that God wants to renew you, you're wanting to get out of, he wants to keep you in it. Now, it raises the question, are you saying that there's never a good time for me to get out of bad stuff? Of course I'm not saying that. But you got to do it discerningly. You really have to do it discerningly and biblically. And on top of that, I mean, God is in control anyway. If he wanted to bring you out of the illness, he would do it in a second. If he wanted to get you a better roommate, guess what? They'd be gone when you got home. Right? I mean, if God, even the most basic understanding of God is that he's controlling and good. If he wanted to do those things, he could. But if he doesn't, you have to ask yourself, what is he up to? Now, typically, I think what we do, you got three shots there. One is to conclude that he's not real. The second one is to conclude that he doesn't care for me. And the third one is to conclude, though, I think he might be renewing me right now. I think that's what he's up to. And so, the first thing you and I need to understand that the conditions for renewal are different than that we might think. But let's look at the momentum for renewal. And by that, I mean the power and force for it. 
Now, if we barely possess the power to do positive things in our lives, you might be asking, how in the world can I find power to stay in something that's really bad, I don't like? How does that happen? And I want you to note what Paul says. What's the basis of renewal for him? He says the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. That means if you are feeling today like you don't have the power to renew yourselves, congratulations, you've taken the first step. You're already there. Now, the apostles, Jesus enabled them to do wild things, amazing things. They could heal. They could do miracles. They could cast out demons. They could go head-to-head with spiritual warfare and win. And yet he says to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. He has to say to them, in fact, sometimes the more talented you are and the more skilled you are, the better you are at fixing your problems and getting out of your situation, the more strikes you'll have against you to actually experience renewal. You'll default on your type A personality. You'll default on your skills. And if you do that for a while, you'll be insufferably arrogant. But after a while, you'll probably become cynical and really tired because it won't work for everything. But the good news is, is that God has bound our renewal to something far greater. Verse 10, the life of Jesus being manifested in our bodies and that knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also and bring us with you into his presence. Two important things there I want to bring to your attention. The first is, what you're hearing from Paul is the centerpiece of the early Christian message. They were witnesses that said, we lived with him, we saw him die, and then we saw him again alive. And I've said before, that freaked them out when they saw him alive. In fact, they were really scared, and it even says before Jesus ascended to heaven that he is with these apostles, some worshipped and some doubted. I mean, he had been dead. They saw scars, and they were still going, I don't know about this. And so, but this was the centerpiece of the Christian message. And earlier in the letter of Corinthians to this church we're reading about, Paul says this, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, He appeared to me. And since that time, Jesus has been appearing through his Holy Spirit to every follower of Jesus Christ. He's continued to appear to them through his Spirit so that if you are in this room and you are a believer in Christ, you can authentically say, I have met the risen Christ. I know it's invisible, but his Spirit has made him so real to me, it has changed my life. It has turned it upside down. So that's the first thing he says. It's the centerpiece of the Christian message is 
the resurrection. But the second is this, that when by faith you and I embrace Jesus Christ, we are united to God and everything he is, but particularly we are united to his power, his power for renewal. So you see, this is very different the way we think about it. We are like, you know, uh, what are those little things called that are on the treadmill? Gerbils? Gerbils. I just don't have reason to say that word often, you know, but it took me a while to get it. But, you know, the way we think about renewal is this is me and I'm sort of doing it. Or if I can attach myself to God, if I can get to him, I'll get the power. The Christian faith teaches, no, this is the opposite thing. As you embrace him, he latches onto you with his power. That's what he does. And so... It's no surprise that Paul would say in one of his letters, the book of Ephesians, he would say this. Do you know what I'm praying for you? I'm praying that you just see, that you could just see the immeasurable power God has toward you. Because if you could see it, it would change you. If you could see that the, res- the very power that raised the Son of God from the dead and ascended him to the throne of heaven, if you could see that, it would really change how you think about renewal. His power then becomes the momentum for change. And I want to list four ways before we close. Four ways I think this power comes to bear on our renewal. The first one is this, power over true guilt and sin. One of the greatest obstacles you and I have to renewal is guilt and shame. It's guilt and shame. Maybe it's false guilt. It's that voice that says to you, you'll never change. You'll never get free from this. You know, when it comes to all the people in this city, you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. It's that voice that that would get you in the deep of your conscience at night and in the morning so that you would think, I cannot be renewed. False guilt. But then there's also the way we respond to true guilt in our lives. The way we approach it. Renewal by self-atonement. Renewal by blame shifting. You know, this is what happens. I think I've said this before. I don't know where the source of the quote is, but it said that the Nazis first killed the Jews because they hated them, and then they hated the Jewish people because they killed them. You know, that's what happens when you're carrying guilt. You take it out on other people. Or... It might be the way you respond to true guilt is by perfectionism in another area. I got this little thing in my closet, but I'll just pour myself into another area. Or it might be you become over-accommodating to people, over-pleasing to people. All these different ways that we're bound by guilt. And the Christian gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ is God's provision for our guilt. By coming and walking in your shoes, by living the life that you should have lived and dying the death that you should die, the judgment that you should receive, he takes that. Because, you know, here's the missing part about the guilt deal. We often just think about it horizontally, right? Well, I'll just get things straight with people. But if God is a real person, and he is, you're not going to be done with that thing until you get right with him. It's the vertical relationship, and only he can reconcile you to him. And that's what the Christian faith says uniquely in the gospel, that God will atone for you. You don't atone for yourself. So power over true guilt. The second thing, power over sin itself. Those patterns that hold on to you and I. 
In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this of believers. Those that trust Christ. He says, if you believe you have been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, and sin is no longer your master. Do you believe that? Be honest now. I want you to think about the area that you're struggling in most. Do you believe that that thing is your master? Because the gospel says it's not your master. Translucent chains. It's a dog that barks but doesn't bite. You are someone that is freed because just as Jesus had the power to live a flawless life, now that power is working in you to get beyond those things. But here's the special insight that I think 2 Corinthians gives to you and I. Sometimes the way God is going to do that, I would even say maybe the most profound way he does it, is through affliction. That the way he will get you free is actually through affliction. Now let me give you an example for my own life. Uh, you know, six months ago, my sort of dietary eating world got turned on its head. I got diagnosed with celiac disease. Now, some of you know what that is, right? That's where you can't eat weed. It's gluten-free. For a lot of people, gluten-free is an option. If you have celiac disease, it's, you, it's a necessity, all right? So all these things that, you know, I had a love affair with, pasta, Bear in mind, there's gluten-free stuff now, so don't, you know, I'm not going to whine too much. Those of you that have done this for years, right, you're like, listen, there's a lot more now. But still, there's a change, right? Like pasta. I'm talking about pasta. You know what I mean. You know, breads, French bread. Remember that? French bread, pies, donuts. I'll tell you something. If I was talking to you and there was a dozen donuts on a table... I would be looking at you and the donuts back and forth. It would be very hard for me to focus. So, okay, so my little affliction, those are gone. But on top of that, I have had an ongoing, you guys are like, did I come to church to hear this guy just talk about his medical issues? I guess preachers get to do that. I'm, I'm driving to a point. But I've also had a long-standing problem with acid reflux stuff. Some of you might know what that is, where, you know, it's like a fire alarm in your stomach. So my doctor says to me, a year ago, because it's getting worse. And he goes, listen, uh, and actually said it more recently. He goes this, he says this. He goes, here's what you need to do. You need to stop all caffeines, all coffee and tea, including decaf coffee and decaf tea. You need to stop chocolate. You need to drink no more alcohol, no more wine. You need to not eat after 8 o'clock. And of course, you know what the bubble over my head is. I'm like, do you know what I just gave up? You know, you think I'm going to give up that other stuff? I'm not changing a thing. And so basically, I end up in the emergency room this summer, and I have to face him. And God, I don't know where this guy stands in his faith, but God rebuked me through that doctor. He looked at me. Here I am, an elder in God's church. I'm a pastor, and he looks at me and goes, what is it going to take for you to change? What's it going to take for you to show a little self-discipline? So, you know, I'm on the wagon, right? I'm on the wagon, and I'm sort of trying to ply with this stuff, but this is the point. This is the point. Lo and behold, what happens? 
I find I'm sleeping better at night. I go to bed earlier because, you know, I can't have that little time with my food late at night. You know? I feel like I have a little bit more energy. Meg says to me the other week, you seem nicer in the morning. You know? You know, instead of like, where's that? The thing is, while I'm experiencing this minor affliction, God is renewing me. I mean, and some of you have much bigger stories of losses and pains, but you know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying to you is don't be surprised if the affliction is the way that you get out of the addiction. Won't be surprised. But I need to hit the other two quickly. It also gives us power to renew in our love for other people. Paul says this, because of his affliction, it was a means whereby grace extends to more and more people that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We are great at serving people and loving people when we feel good. When we don't feel renewed, that's when we struggle. But you see the power in Jesus Christ where he's literally being hung on a cross to death. He can forgive his worst enemies and he can encourage a thief next to him. While he's dying, he's renewed. And so God would give us the grace, whatever we're dealing with in our lives, to care about that city out there and to care about that person next to me in here. But lastly, lastly, the power to live by faith and not by sight. Paul says, momentary affliction preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He had said earlier, I felt outweighed by my burden. Now he says, my burden has been outweighed by this vision of glory. How? As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you could see the day when the illness goes away, when your finances get straightened out, when you get the job you really like, if you could see that day right now, you know you would deal differently right now. You would live differently tomorrow because you would have greater hope and greater strength. What Paul is saying, when you can lock into even a greater renewal of that, where by the eyes of faith, God enables you to see what is in store for those that love God. If you can look ahead and see Jesus Christ saying, Behold, I make all things new of the day where every wound and every tear and every hardship by God's strong hand is wiped away, you will press on in renewal. Even when you are being afflicted, you will see something else. That day becomes brighter than this day's darkness. There's a minister in my minister's group that um, we call our presbytery. He's sort of like a father among us, and he suffered three strokes in the last two years. And I remember hearing him preach after his first stroke. I'll tell you, it was the most powerful thing, so powerful in its vulnerability, power in his hope in God. But he was with us this week, and he said to you, I have to tell you what it's like for me. He said, I wake up each day, and I get in my bed, and my first thought is, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Or I walk into a room like this, and I hear a bunch of noise, and I can't even get together a thought I'm fearful someone's going to come forward and ask me something. And talk about ministry. People send people to me to be trained, and literally I'm sitting there with them, and I don't have thoughts in my head, words in my head. But then they start coming. They start to come, and I start saying things and reaching for things. 
or I get up and I walk into the day. He's talking about what it means to walk by faith. Listen, you and I want to live by sight. We want to know the cards God has up his sleeve. We want to know it's going to be better by the end of the day. We know it's going to be better by the end of the week. That'll never get you there. When you look ahead and walk by faith, that's a whole different strength. God has given us everything to everything we need to have a big, big hope and renewal. Let's lay a hold of it. Please pray with me. God, we thank you so much for Jesus and his faithfulness, for the life that lives in us, the life that can live in us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.